Well, hello. Uh, I'm Tom, and uh, who, we we know you. But tell us a little bit about uh, Lara. What, where were you born, and what was your favourite snack that your mum made you when you were a kid? Cool. So I'm Lara. I was born in Peckham, and then I moved to South East London to Greenwich. People people nodding. You think Greenwich Mean Times, you know. But not that area. Greenwich Borough is very different. Um, and my favourite snack growing up, it's not one that I'm, my mum made, but one that she bought. And it's this thing called agege bread, which is like this sweet bread. And then you like add butter, melt it. Very nice. So yeah. how, how would you describe your ethnic heritage? Um, I would say that I'm black British, but with like my family is Nigerian. So, yeah, that's how I describe myself. Very good. And I was born in a place called Burton-on-Trent. I wonder if you would know. It's not too far from here. And uh, yeah, and uh, uh, my parents were from Yorkshire, so we had Yorkshire puddings every every Sunday, which was uh, magnificent. And uh, we've been in Croydon for about 10 years. Um, it would be fascinating for us just to hear a little bit about um, who is in the room, so we can try and pitch this as well as possible. Uh, so rather than going around and getting everyone to say something, if we just ask you some questions, if you just raise your hand if it refers to you, that would be super helpful. Uh, so the first question would be, if you are a senior pastor or kind of a chief person who steers the church, so planting or the senior pastor, just yeah, wonderful, amazing. Uh, Lara, what, what questions do you have? Uh, if you serve on a team at your church, hands up. Yes, yeah, seven hearts. Amazing. And if you would say on a census, you would kind of tick a box to say uh, anything other than white British. Just raise your hand. If you anything other than white British. Okay, wonderful. I would be one of those who would say I'm white British. So uh, amazing. Okay, so what we just want to do is not claim that we're experts, um, but what I'm going to do is show you a picture of the church in two, of Croydon in 2013. Uh, I know it's slightly fuzzy. I've done a screenshot because I couldn't find the original photos anymore. Uh, but this is the group of people who were around the church in the first 12 months in Croydon. And what you might find as you look around is that pretty much everybody is white. Uh, now, Sal, who's playing the guitar, is from South America. And on the top centre picture there, there were a, a few people who were black, but actually they were guests who weren't part of the church. And what we found was that we arrived in a very diverse city as a 100% white team. And for the first 12 months of the church, really until Sal joined, we were pretty much 100% white. And uh, we have seen in that time, in, since that sort of year one, through to now, just a, a huge change in the diversity of our church. And so if you, this is a picture of us on Easter Sunday, and you can see just the huge range of colours and ethnicities and cultures uh, that we've found. So we, we aren't going to claim that we're experts on everything, but there is something that we've learnt about how you can draw together people from all kinds of different backgrounds and contexts and see a single community formed. Uh, so, Lara's going to tell you a bit more about that. Yeah, so I don't know if anyone here is a, it likes stats. Um, they're just good for helping us think holistically. So, we're going to go through some of our Sunday teams and look at 
the people who are non-white and serve on each team. So you'll see that in the brackets. So in terms of Sunday teams of house managers, hosting, setup, and giving, pretty much 50% of each of those teams are non-white. And just to explain, why are we using the term non-white? Because we understand in every piece of language we use, it, it communicates something. We decided, we talked about this, and we thought, we want to use the word non-white because it acknowledges the fact that Vineyard is, has a dominant culture, which is a white culture. So we're deliberately pointing out that people who are not white would feel they're in a minority culture in our movement, in the vast majority of our churches. So just to clarify why we're using that language. Cool. And then when it comes to the worship teams as well, uh, between audiovisual and the people who sing or play instruments, then it's, again, pretty much 50%. Then with our youth and kids teams, again, so with youth teams, 7 out of 15, and with the kids team, 31 out of 51. And actually, when we look at the under-18s in the church, there we have about 75% of the youth who are non-white and about 60% of the kids. And then when we've got the trustees and the staff team, then we've got three out of seven trustees and two out of eight staff team. So slightly lower. But yeah, and you'll yeah. see, you know, we're on, a, we're on a journey on this and we've gone from the point where we would probably say that across the church, as the stats show, in every space there's 50% of people uh, who are not white, uh, apart from in the most senior positions of leadership. And that's just to be honest with you and say, look, we are still on a journey with some distance to travel in this. Like, it's our hope that we will get to the place where every single part of the church has got 50%. Uh, but we are, when, we're not too far off, but we're, we're not there yet. Cool. I don't know if we've actually said, but Croydon is pretty much 50% right. non-white, yeah. which is why we keep yeah. talking about 50%, because it, it represents... The, the place that we're in. Um, and so when it comes to cultivating diverse teams, one of the first things that we have to think about is actually our discipleship culture. Um, and if that is accessible to people who are non-white and people from different backgrounds, because we, wanted, we want people to be disciples of Jesus first and foremost. And it's from that place that people can then lead and people can serve God and his kingdom through the church. Um, so we've come up with five different discipleship tips that we can think of or um, diverse hacks or whatever we want to call them that we can keep in mind to help with that. First one being the background music. So I don't know if anyone's ever been at a wedding or a party or anything like that and a certain song comes on and you're like, yes, and it just, it rises something up in you. And I think that in itself just attests to the fact that music is so powerful and culturally it holds a lot of weight. And so I think thinking about the kind of music for example, if you go to a church and you hear this kind of background music, that will communicate something to you. Whereas if you go to church and you hear this kind of music, simple change, but it does communicate something different to you. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is not the music that the worship teams play, that's more complex to change. We're just talking about in your small group, what do you play in the background as the music that's, as people walk in they hear on a Sunday when you've got coffee and things being served? It's, in any context, this is a simple change uh, that can so easily be made. And the guy here in the screen, I don't know what's happened, our photos are all fine in the A, but in B they've all gone blurry. Um, but this is Andrew Arasaratnam, who's a Sri Lankan Tamil guy. 
And he actually just came one Sunday and said, oh, what music should I play before the service? And we said, why don't you just play whatever you'd listen to? And this is what he put on, this song. And we're like, oh, this is good. And you saw as people walk in, they kind of... So, there you go. Uh, so that's idea number one. Uh, another idea you can use uh, to try and uh, just help people who are uh, non-white or not the majority culture to step into the space is uh, who serves the Lord's Supper. So in, I assume every vineyard church will do Lord's Supper at, at some point. So the question is who holds the cup and who holds the bread? And uh, this is a, a couple of guys, magnificent guys, like they've got the sweetest heart, they love Jesus. This is a father, Roshan, and his son, uh, Naveen. And uh, they probably wouldn't lead, they probably wouldn't speak or lead worship, but every single person in the church walks past them and takes the bread and the wine from them. And it, it just is a super easy thing to do for people who've got great heart to serve. And it's actually, a, it's kind of a leadership role that just elevates them and gives them a status. So worth thinking about doing. Another thing to think about is the images that you use. What kind of images are on the screens? What kind of images on your social media? Because actually representation and what people see visually has a huge impact. Like I know for me, when it comes to me going to a new place or uh, looking at schools, whatever it is, if I go on the website and within the first two minutes, I just see people who are white British, it, it communicates something of how I show up in that place. And that's someone, I'm, I'm, I've grown up in Britain. So let alone someone who's come from a different country, that will communicate a certain certain image to them um, and how welcome they feel like they can automatically be in that space. So it's not about finding random pictures of black people online and just shoving it on your website, but just being really, really conscious that the images that people see, it, it is important. So if, the, if there was a church here, Lara, who didn't have anybody of colour within their current congregation, it, what would you suggest would be a helpful way to try and have pictures that aren't just a random black person off the internet but which do bring us a bit of some a bit of a sense of your welcome even if you aren't white mm -hmm. yeah I think about things like well if you've got under 18s in your church and you have discipleship tools like videos or pictures and bible stories think about who is represented there or with sermon illustrations if there's any, ever anything on the screen think about what kind of people you're bringing up and I think we try and we try and love to use photos which has a range of different ethnicities on it rather than all of one, if we can. Because what we're trying to build is a fusion of people coming together as a single family. Uh, and we think, so something like this shows it quite well. We've got Lara, who's Nigerian. We've got Joel, who's got Indian heritage. And Joel, uh, who's white British. Uh, so another thing we can, you can do is if you do special Sundays then on a special Sunday, you can celebrate the diversity that there is in your community. Uh, so for us, a special Sunday, I don't know if you'd use the same terminology, but we were like, okay, Easter Sunday, Christmas Day, uh, or Christmas service. Um, maybe if there's a church uh, part, like a, an anniversary, like our church has been going for this number of years. Now, it's a super easy way to lean into and celebrate any diversity that you have in your community. Uh, and we actually always deliberately try to do this uh, so this is a picture of what we called uh, a, a prayer tunnel, which we did on Easter Sunday. And we took all, we have lots of non-white 
under 18s in our church and our, our church was like a bit like uh, the room we meet in a school has a door there and then another one up there like a lot of school assembly halls so we said to all the kids right you're going to go out that door and die like Jesus died on the cross and then you come come back in that door and be resurrected and as you come back in that door all the adults are going to put their hands over as a tunnel and you're going to run through and they're going to pray for you now there's two things that are a win on that first of all every single white adult is praying for non-white kids as they run past them and it means there's a sense of family and every kid is looking and thinking here is a white adult who's praying for me and doing this thing for me so that's a win number one and secondly uh, generally speaking in non-white church environments there's an understanding that celebration is something to actively lean into, even if it isn't necessarily representative of the emotions that you have in your heart at that time. And so it's a moment to say, we will celebrate this resurrection and we're going to go crazy to do it. Now, you don't have to do that. Of course, you don't have to do that. But you can find ways on your special services to celebrate people. So another example of that is that we, uh, on our anniversaries, we just had our 10-year anniversary, we'll hand out awards for people to honour and celebrate what they've sown into our church community. And uh, there's a particular lady called Nana who's been serving on our kids' team for seven years. And we just said, in front of the whole church, we just want to honour somebody who's just poured more into our church than nearly anybody else and she was shocked as we invited her up and she comes up and we give her like a little bag to say, like, we're so grateful for the way you're serving our church. And so it's super simple. But everybody sees, oh, they value people like me here. And it, you, you can find ways to do that in your own context. Okay, and the final idea that we've got is around food and doing bring and share socials surrounding food. Um, I don't know, I feel like food should be like a sixth love language because it has such a powerful place in our hearts and there's a lot of culture that's embedded in food. Um, and we found in our church, we do a bring and share lunch once a month on a Sunday after church. And for some people who in the church, who English isn't their first language necessarily. It's such a powerful way for them to come and to serve and love others and to step into leadership in a way that's so simple and brings a lot of joy. Um, and even culturally, I'd say sharing food and the act of loving people that way and being hospitable is something that is embedded in a lot of cultures. So it's really, really powerful. Um, There's a lady who's come to our church from, um, she was in South India mm. and then she'd lived in the Middle East and she loves to make food for these meals. Mm. And uh, it's again, it's just the simplest thing ever to eat it and be like, oh, this is so spicy, it's so spicy. I love it so much. And she's absolutely delighted because she loves to think that her food is super spicy for people like me. And also, everybody hears you doing that, and it kind of, what it does, it brings together a sense of we're, fa like we're family. We're not just doing something as tokenism, like we're family together celebrating what each other brings. Um, so we were going to ask a question, weren't we? Yeah, so if anyone here, well, actually, what would be something that you would bring to a meal like this? Different people in the room. And it might not be something that you can make, but something that you know someone can make that represents a part of your culture. So for me, I would bring jollof rice, which is something that, you know, is big in Nigeria. Anyone else? Jerk chicken, Jerk chicken, Jerk chicken and, rice. and rice. Magnificent. And, and yeah, so tell us about that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and am I right in thinking jerk chicken and rice would be quite a Caribbean yeah, yeah. dish? 
Yeah. Yeah. So just for the tape, that's Jamaica, Trinidad, Tobago, jerk chicken. And again, what an amazing thing. Like, it's delicious. Everybody loves it. And it also honors a part of the world that, you know, it's come from. What else? Who else? Who has one more, maybe? Coronation chicken. Tell us about that. Isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. So everyone likes it. Easy to share. British thing and and brilliant cross cultural. Fantastic. So um, these things, hopefully, are quite easy things to do to just create disciples of many different colours and ethnicities within your church. So the question is, of all of, you know, say then you, the church, and all of you loving Jesus more, the question is, how then do we see you stepping into positions of responsibility and leadership where, uh, where you're actually bringing more into the church environment than just sitting there and looking like we're a diverse church, but actually it's me who does everything and you have to do the way that I say. Does that make sense? So we're trying to get beyond that. So do you know IRTDMN? Is it, does, does anybody, is this new for anybody? Okay, so um, there's actually a really helpful thing you can look up on. If you just type in IRTDMN online and Vineyard, there's a really helpful booklet, but it's a, it's a helpful process to think of taking people through to get them to the point that they're on a team and enjoying being on a team and doing a good job in that team or in leadership. So you first of all identify them, then you recruit them into saying, hey, would you come and do this thing? You tell them how to do it, you send them, deploy them off to do it, and then you monitor and nurture them. How's it going? Like, what's, what are you struggling with? How are you as a person? So IRTDMN is super helpful. And it's one of those sort of vineyard things that's been around from, for years and uh, it's, it's just so helpful. Um, so um, if you were to do this in the standard vineyard way, what you would normally do is you'd say, how do you identify somebody to join a team? So you'd say, right, we've got a gap on our kids' team. Who do we see who's already showing a, a, like a kindness and an interest in the kids who we think, hey, they maybe could come and fill this space in our team because we identify that they're already doing it. You understand that? Like you're saying, like, if you want a worship leader, have a look around who's already leading the room in worship. Okay, now bring them in and let them, you identify them that way. And that's the standard way that in Vineyard you do this. Now, in uh, generally speaking, if you feel like you're the minority culture person in a room, you're unlikely or less likely to start doing something in the room that you feel is leading and changing the room. It's just, it's quite a vulnerable thing to do that. So instead of looking around the room and thinking, who's already doing that? Because it will generally be the white people who are part of the majority culture. You identify people through prayer. And you're like, Lord, we really want to see this kind of thing. Show me who is it? Who here has got this potential? Who are you calling into a position of influence and leadership in our church? And then rather than saying, here's this position on this particular team I need to fill, you say, here's this person. What could we help them do to bring something more into our church community? So you're not trying to fill a gap that you've identified, but you're trying to raise up a disciple to be an influential person. So this is Sal, who is a Brazilian South American guy. Uh, and um, we, we quickly realized that he loves the Lord. But in a lot of context, he would always sit, be at the back and not speak. 
and be cautious about saying anything. So we're like, Lord, what can we get him doing that he loves, like, which begins to raise his profile in the church and which enables him to serve and begin to feel more comfortable? And actually, the first thing was, Sal, could you organize the, the teas and coffees for us as we we're just a really small church plant? There was like 15 of us, 16 of us. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that because it enabled him to be at the back but he actually would then be, again, somebody every single person comes in the door saw. And we knew that he wasn't going to stay there forever. Like, well, he's going to do that for a while. Then he moved up to um, being somebody who did youth. And he led the youth. did amazing. Then he started to preach. And after a while of preaching, we then sent him out to, to go and plant, replant a church. So you kind of you start them at the place where you feel like this is a first easy step for this person to take. And we kind of just created roles and spaces for him to step into. So that's one example of one story. So you identify people not by seeing people already doing it, but through prayer. And when you're recruiting, uh, you just say, hey, look, we see value in you. You clearly carry something for our community. Would you step into bringing this into the community? So, over to you, Lara. Cool. So we're going to invite up Josh. Woo-woo! Give him a round of applause. And we just want to find out a bit more about you and about how this, the identify and recruit process was for you. So, first, could you tell us how you came into a vineyard church? Sure. So, um, so... I was um, in Nottingham. Um, I'd been here um, doing a bit of physiotherapy. That was what I was studying at the time, um, and moved to Trent Vineyard. Um, it was I was kind of my third year, so it wasn't a natural choice of church to come to, because I'm from a Pentecostal background, um, quite a multicultural church I was used to. And at that time, Trent wasn't that multicultural. Um, but having you know the the music wasn't we talked about the music it was more of a soft rock feel so wasn't kind of like um, the style I was used to. But having said that, um, I'm sat next to an amazing mate, and it was it was basically a group of about four or five guys I knew really well outside of church. They were Christians, happened to come here, and they were absolute legends. And I knew that's what I needed. I needed to be around those friends, and so that's um, why I ended up at in the vineyard. Cool. And so when you joined the church, how were you recruited onto the team? How long did it take? And what was what was that like? What were your expectations and things mm. like that? So um, I saw these questions beforehand. And I was thinking that one of the things that was most significant was um, it happened just kind of as you were saying. Someone met me and listened to what was going on in my life. And in fact, being a physio, I was also playing rugby. So pretty much four nights a week I was training. At weekends, I'd work as a junior physio and also play matches all around the country. And so um, so su- serving on a Sunday team was something I was just like, oh, how would I ever do that? Because I'd work 14 days in a row. And I was chatting to one of the leaders, a guy called Andy Powell, and he said, the w- place where you're serving for Trent and for God is on the rugby pitch. And so he released me to serve in that place. And that changed my perspective on rugby, and it changed my perspective on church as well. And so um, it was a number of years down the line when I finished playing rugby um, and I was doing small groups and I joined a Sunday team. Um, and that was probably the first team that I was involved in that was on a Sunday. Um, yeah. That's really powerful. Um, and so what was it like culturally? Was it, were there any cultural shocks when you joined the church and things like that? And joined yeah, the team? so um, I think so, you, so my background is I grew up in Kenya um, and so um, 
And um, that was when I was about 12. Um, and uh, my parents worked out there. Um, and Sundays were church days. Um, so we'd go to church. Um, you'd be there, I don't know, four or five hours. Um, there was lunch there. There was, you know, we had a, a, a number of different choirs, a number of different sermons, um, a whole number of things. But it was a whole day thing. So to come to a church in the UK and um, be involved on a team where people literally just turned up to do the job and then went home, was that was the bit that was a surprise, mm-hmm. that it wasn't like a whole family thing. It wasn't like a whole day thing. And so I think, because I'd been in the church a little while, I, I, I was used to that. Mm-hmm. But I think if someone knew was coming in, I'd kind of explain, you know, actually small groups may be the place where you get that kind of community. But Sundays, it's a different flavor. Um, so that was a shock to me. That's really interesting. And so, I mean, the next question is, if you were training someone now to mm. go and recruit you onto the team for the first time and then lead you on that team, what would you encourage them to do? I wrote notes for this one. Mm, good. <laughs> well, I was just kind of thinking, I, I think we'd, we'd heard it before, listen, be mindful um, that people that you're asking into things may have not had the opportunities you've had um, if you're coming from a a majority culture and so to explain any assumptions that might be made there are so many assumptions that we make um, things that are just learned through being part of culture and actually when you're new to a culture that's it's quite a a tricky thing to be asked to do something new because you're like what mistake might I make where will I look out of turn because you're used to being different Um, I think asking open questions is helpful Um, finding out what someone's experience is um, and hearing then what God might be speaking to you about where that person may well serve. Um, I think another thing is try not to generalize. Um, Sometimes when people say, oh, you played rugby, the next question is, oh, were you fast? Um, Which takes an assumption that because of the color of my skin is I'm rapid at running. Um, For me, I was, that was, that was my position. But had I been saying, actually, I'm a skillful player, um, I didn't have that much gas, like, that, that would be something I'd come up against every time someone asked me that question. So be aware of your unconscious bias. What might you be thinking about someone that, in fact, someone may not fit the mold that you're trying to, or that you have in your mind. So be wary of how you ask questions like that. Um, and I think also be aware of your motives for um, asking someone to join the team. So we kind of think diversity, what a wonderful thing. You saw the picture right at the start. It just looked so joyful. We're talking about different heritages all together. That just says something of God's nature. So it's a good thing. But when asking people to join a team, if we're thinking, oh, this person I'm asking because of the color of their skin, that is a sensitive thing to be thinking. And how do you negotiate that well? How do we talk to people and say, look, um, there's something that I've been praying about and I see the things in you that's, that's a very different conversation than to later find out you've been asked to do something because of the color of your skin. And then you lose trust um, and you also find yourself sometimes in a position where you're like, actually, I'm not qualified to do this. And then the last thing I'd mention is the last two things that you see on the screen, monitor and nurture. Those are often things that are missed. We identify, recruit, train, deploy, and then leave. And monitoring and nurturing are the two most crucial things when you're from a different culture. Because there will be things, that you, questions you have. Oh, I've started doing this and I've noticed this. And that is the time you need someone to talk to, to be able to say, I've noticed this and I don't know if it's me or if it's the, the situation. So I'd say monitoring and nurturing are the two crucial things not to forget.
in this. So, so helpful and so good. Thank you so much. Let's give him a round of applause again. Thank you, Josh. Uh, so um, maybe we just, before questions, and please have some really hard and, you know, exact... I think we want to say in the room that if you have a question, we want you to feel like here's a great space to ask a question, even if it feels like a slightly awkward question. Josh is going to be super happy to answer questions. And I think the preference is we lean in in this room to questions that we really, really have, uh, because then we can hopefully find some good answers. Um, whereas if we don't ask those questions, we can't find those answers. Uh, so just on the monitoring and nurturing, here's the language that we've used that we've found quite helpful. Oh, so this is a photo actually of that, uh, Nana, uh, who's the lady who's been on the kids team for uh, many years. Um, so what, what I would just encourage you to think about is in your monitoring and nurturing uh, of people is to set boundaries that are very clear. And I think this helps everybody. So you're saying, look, I'm just going to use the example of worship because I think uh, w this is where we've had the most obvious conversations around this. But this would be the true in leading small groups, on being with kids, on doing prayer ministry, in preaching, uh, all across the board, out doing evangelism, compassion. In every space, there's these two boundaries will exist. Uh, and the one boundary is this, which we'll say to people, and there's a guy called Leon, uh, who's a Caribbean, incredibly charismatic, funny, brilliant guy, who's been in our church for quite a while, uh, and we've had a lot of very clear and honest conversations about race. He's been so super helpful. And uh, what I've said with him, and he agrees with this, there's two things that are boundaries for any person in your church. And the first one is, you must not just copy me. That's the first boundary. So if you are leading worship, and I feel like you're just copying what I would do as a white person while you're leading worship, I'm going to speak to you about that and say that's not right. Like you don't just copy method and form. Like you must that's one boundary at one end. Avoid that. The boundary at the other end is you must not see this as your opportunity for your self-expression. This isn't the chance that you get to, hey, I can bring my culture and show it to everyone in this room. That's not right either. That is not what leadership is. That's not what serving is. The space in the middle is I will do what I believe is going to serve and love these people in front of me the most. Does that make sense? So you're, when you're do, on team, when you're leading, you shouldn't be thinking about me. And you shouldn't be thinking about yourself. You should be thinking about the people who the Lord is asking you to serve. And that's called love. So ministry becomes an expression of love. And so what we'll find, let, let me just use Leon as an example. Leon uh, is a guy who he grew up and he was in kind of gangs on the streets. He came to faith outside of Croydon Vineyard. Uh, he kind of got married and now comes in and he has like a real passion for black people like him, especially young guys. And so he brings this passion into the church. And he's, ama like, he's amazing, incredible evangelist, great preacher. And what I say to him is that, Leon, in this room, look, there's a middle-aged white woman. There's a young guy from Asia where there's a very, like, very submissive context and culture that he's come from. Over there is somebody who's Nigerian. Now, the Caribbean and the Nigerian experience is very different from one another. 
Here's somebody else who's Eastern European. Your job, Leon, is not to show everybody what you've got in you, but to do what you believe is going to best help that whole range of people find Jesus and move forward in Jesus. And, and he loves that because there's a huge field of opportunity. Like, don't copy me. Don't just do whatever you would want to do, but come and, and find for you to love and serve these people. So Leon's done that, and Dorothy, who's uh, she is uh, a Nigerian, black Nigerian worship leader. So she'll come in, and some, and actually, she said she was here in week A. She said there was uh, the first time she led worship, uh, she just did exactly what she'd seen done, and you know that's respectful. She's trying to honour the community. That makes total sense. Um, after three months, uh, I said to Phil, who was overseeing our worship at the time, "You need to call her and and tell her off, because she's not, she's not." bringing herself. Now, so what he did is he said, Lord Dorothy, we love you, but we want you to be Dorothy when you're leading worship. Can you, you know, please don't copy this. Now, she was actually utterly delighted because she's like, wow, I, I, I'm being encouraged to find a way to express who I am. So she was naturally on this end of the spectrum and she's being told, get off this boundary and get into the middle of the space. Does that make sense? Um, and so it's just super helpful to think of those two boundaries and just be really clear with people. Look, here's where there's a whole space here that you can discover. So she'll now, she's helped us find new songs. She sings things in a different way. Uh, and Zach, who's our worship pastor, if you have any questions on how to do this in worship, you can ask uh, him. Do we have anything else we want to say? Yeah, I just think when people find that middle sweet spot, we see so much of God's heart. Because God has created each of us in different cultures and different expressions of his kingdom through through us. Like it's the same God, but he puts things in us to share with each other. And when we don't just live in that thing of doing what you've seen and we have that freedom to be like, okay, Lord, what do you want to do through me and through how you've created me? Then we see such richness in the church. And I think it's one of my favorite things about Croydon Vineyard so far. Um, so... Uh, the final thing I think I'd want to say is that if we're going to do this, it, it, it becomes something that is gen. Like I think the vast majority of people in our church will say this really feels like family. Now we're quite we're quite a large we're certainly way larger than we ever used to be, but we've managed to preserve the idea that family is you and me outside of what's formal, still interacting with each other, still speaking with each other. So here, this lady who's praying uh, grew up in Belgium. Her dad is Chinese. The lady being, I'm actually not sure who's being prayed for, but there's a young person. You know, you've got a whole load of people here, and this is the kind of interaction that we're shooting for. This isn't organized. This isn't team. This is just people of many different cultures and nationalities coming together and interacting. Uh, and you can see me there in distance looking on. Uh, and I've got a smile on my face. So that's what, we sh that's what is a great thing to shoot for. Like just, this happens in the, co in the community naturally. It takes a long time to get there. But if you shoot for that, you can get there because this is what the Lord wants. This is what we, this, when we say the kingdom come, this is what we mean. And so he, he answers those prayers if you keep praying them. Okay, so what we're going to do is give you a chance to think of any questions. And then I'm just going to curate the question. I'm going to try not to answer them. Josh would love, uh, would be just an amazing person to answer questions. Zach, if you have anything on worship. And Lara, although she's our worship, uh, youth pastor and can answer anything on youth, she also is just a fantastic source of wisdom on so many things. Uh, so who has a question? Yeah, let's go for you. 
Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So what I should say is I need to repeat every question for the tape uh, and then see who wants to answer that question. So the question is, we talked about two boundaries and generally which boundary are people most likely to be up against uh, when, when they're starting to join a team? Who wants to answer that one? I can, but I think you should share about Dillish after. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think generally speaking, people probably come in more like, oh, I'm not sure how much I can bring of myself although there are some cultures where people will like the minute you decide a church is your church they want to step in and want to serve but what that looks like is probably a team where they don't have to speak as much or maybe can't express as much of like what God has put in them as as possible and so it is a process of journeying with people and trying to draw that out of them um so I think of one lady in particular who Again, she she brings a lot. She's Sri Lankan. She brings a lot of food to the bring and share lunches and helps set up and helps clear up after that. And I think that's a space where we can start and she's comfortable. But yeah, over time, just to see what is it that God's put in her and how do we help her steward that and bring out more? What do you think, Tom? Um, I think it, I think it's really helpful to 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 try to. Uh, see see who it the because it will vary hugely on each individual um and something that i've learned is that um i hope i've learned i've probably still got a lot to learn is that um somebody who is black could have a hundred different instincts and cultures and backgrounds that, that have formed them and so even if I was to say, generally people who have this colour skin are on this thing, it probably wouldn't be right. Um, so just to be really, you can tell quite quickly. Uh, and we found a lot of our Sri Lankans have, you can just see it straight away, they would just not want to do anything. Because the, the, the worst thing that could possibly happen for them at church, like the, the living nightmare is that they would do something in the church which was the wrong thing. So, you know, so they would be very much, I just copy exactly. Is that right? Mm. Uh, but that, that's just because there's a lot of people who are friends, they all came together, so it's worth just trying to find out. Is, Josh, do you want to add anything on that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, just for the tape, Josh said I was really wise. <laughs> so... Um, who had another question? Okay, we'll come here first, yeah. Yeah, okay, so just for the tape, the question is, uh, how do you celebrate like holidays, particularly maybe Thanksgiving, as uh, if you have American heritage, uh, if that feels like that celebrates what the dominant or majority culture would naturally celebrate in a way that may feel exclu excludes those who aren't part of the majority culture? I mean, particularly Thanksgiving is where you th give thanks that you left the UK, right? So... Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, does anybody, I have some thoughts on that, but does anybody else want to answer that? Josh, come on, yeah. You come on, come grab my mic. I'm an internal processor. I haven't fully thought this through. Um, I think when we respond to things, sometimes we respond out of our pain. And I think when... Um, you've been an outsider, there can be a lot of pain. And so sometimes celebrating someone else's good thing is a tricky thing to do. So um, I'll use a rugby analogy. I've been a sub on the bench, 
and um, the person in my position has scored a try, how do I celebrate? Um, and I think God's grace allows us to celebrate. But sometimes when you've experienced a lot of pain, it's hard to celebrate as well. So I would love to say that I would celebrate Thanksgiving as one of the first events of this, that, and the other. But at times, you'll find that actually doing a small thing in the right direction can actually be taken offense to. Um, and so that's why sensitivity is really helpful. And having almost like a sensitivity readership or a sensitive, so you, you run ideas past things, you know. If we were to do X, how would this community respond? If we were to Y, how would that? And so you can almost have people that you trust you can ask good questions to about how would this be received um, before trying things. So that's just a, a thought. Thank you. Lara? I just back. think that's really wise. And I think trying to find consistency amongst, uh, like among what you're celebrating is important as well. I think, I think I've met a number of people who... And I'm not saying you're doing this. So I just when you asked the question, it reminded me. Oh, I remember some people said this. Uh, a number of people who think the road, the road that you walk towards having a diverse church all uniting together is everybody minimizes their difference. And if I minimize my difference enough, then eventually we get to the place where we can all be together. And I think what you get is just a bit of a boring community. And the reality is that whoever raised that question to you is off, actually behind it, is offering, I have something I want you to celebrate. So you say, amazing, let's all celebrate your thing. What's that thing? We'll all celebrate. That would be so amazing. Tell us to celebrate it. And so what we try and do is actually emphasize what we call the flavor that people bring. So now there's, remember the boundaries. So we're not saying when you're in this community, your job is self-expression. Because the idea that, you know, most of my wife's a therapist, counsellor, uh, you know, I understand intersectionality and all that kind of stuff. And there's a big push to be like, if you're really loved, then people, you'll be able to express who you truly are in every context. And that's not our gospel. Our gospel is you can express love in, as yourself in every context. So this isn't about your self-expression. This is about you being used to bring your flavor into this community to build up this community. And so if, you, if we start minimizing the flavor that we have, we actually don't enrich the community like we could. Um, but the love thing is what Josh is saying, because then you say, look, I want to do this. Could I do it this way? And they'll say, if you do it that way, these guys will respond to that. So... We've, and there's so much we could talk about with that. But let's, let's come to the back here. Another question. So just as a, for the tape, the encouragement there is if you pray and ask God to make your church look like your city ethnically and culturally, just be careful that you mean it because he probably will answer that prayer. Brilliant. Okay, so the question for Josh is uh, what do you do when you've blundered and somebody, you've said something that you know you shouldn't have said? Um, I'd say honesty is the best policy. Um, I think the reality, and, and we talked about hurt, or I talked about hurt um, previously, is that, um, that there can be a lot of pain. Um, and I think when we see someone in pain, the natural re response is to recoil and, and not know how to respond. 
Um, and I think I've been on the receiving end of people then not knowing and then not saying, and then it becomes a taboo. Um, and I think that speaks into fear. Um, and I think that also speaks into disunity, which I think is kind of one of those things that, um, that you know, it is a fight to be united. Um, and so pressing into the awkward is, is important. Um, but doing that sensitively. So I've not really answered your question, but uh, the worst thing you can do in my, um, in, is, is to ignore it and to just let that, that go away. Um, I think sometimes getting advice is helpful, maybe not to that person individually, but saying, I think I've done this and, and, and sound out, you know, how, how do I repair this? Um, and, and just coming humbly and saying, look, I would love to learn more. Can you show me can you show me you know, ha what I could say? I think if you, if you take the, um, almost like um, the, the race side of things out of it and think, you know, we make blunders in relationships regularly. Um, how do you go about restoring that? Um, how do you go back to that person and put things right? Um, and then sometimes taking away the anxiety about race and then trying to approach it in a, in a, in a similar way. What would, you, what would you have to share? Yeah, I'd just add that. Like, if the heart is to be in unity in a community and you want to restore relationship, then it is praying and seeking advice on how best to do that. And sometimes that is speaking to the person and asking them, like, to help you see. Other times it might be understanding where the error was and going away and, like, doing your own research or yes. not putting that burden on the person to then educate you on, on own, like, maybe your own biases and things like that. Um, but it's just really seeking like seeing that person as someone who God loves, who you want to love to, acknowledging that there was hurt and knowing that it might take time to restore that relationship. But it's if you make it a priority, then that speaks volumes. And I think that can bring a lot of healing, not just to the one incident, but to a lot of what people understanding mm. of being in white context or interactions with white people might be. The only other thing I'd, I'd, you just sparked in terms of you know doing that research yourself is so, is so important. Sometimes going back into that situation is is not the right thing to do. Um, so I think that there's sense there's sensitivity there. As, as I, if I love this person, what's the loving thing to do? The loving thing is to learn, and how can I learn? And then how then may you know pray for that opportunity for for restoration. Um, but I think I think fear is one of the things that the enemy want to want to put into this and so I think I think you know if we if we are family and we've got that relationship first you know prayerfully I hope that these would be things that happen when you've already got that relationship um, so if you've not got that relationship with then 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 just develop the relationship and friendship first and then see where things go from there just as a as a as a white responder to that question I would want to say that I found that most people who are not white who've come to our church have been like, I know what I'm doing coming into a context where the majority of people are not, are, are not my ethnicity. And actually, um, I've, fa I've found that people are not fragile that if I just slightly misspeak the wrong thing, suddenly they're going to fall apart. Most people who are not white are actually incredibly gracious, are incredibly warm towards us because they're, they're stepping into the community and saying, I get this. Like, there's going to be moments that are a bit awkward, but I'm here because I love Jesus and I, I want to be part of this. So I think, I think that it's, 
yeah, we, we must be careful that we don't turn it into like, oh, every person who's not white is, is they're just, they're going to take offense at everything. I need to be really, because that's not been our experience. I've, to be honest, I've been able to ask the most, I've been, some question be like, look, can you just tell me, George Floyd, like, why do people care? And like, why is it such a big thing? You can go and ask any question. And if you ask the right person, you know them, they want, people want to talk. So I would really encourage you that I think it's to fit, like fear. Don't, don't not do things because you fear a blunder. Instead, um, learn, go in with humility. And I think you'll find most people who are going to hang around and genuinely are called by Jesus will only be incredibly gracious and incredibly helpful. That, that would be, is that okay? Just be aware of your position of authority as well. So if you are male and white, um, or if you are, just be aware of some of those things you come, you come with and, and hold. And I think to see someone come as humbly serving is the opposite of the experience. And so then you, as, as, as Tom was saying, you receive in a totally different way. Um, the times where I've had difficulties is where people haven't come with humility. Um, and have come uh, assuming something or placing something on, and already that's coming from the wrong space. So if that's the place when you you feel like you have the knowledge and oh I've heard this or I've said and this is the way it is, then that's when I've really struggled to hear things. And whereas when people come with humility and with an open heart, like it's such a different conversation. And like you say, you know you you have amazing conversations on the back of that. Thanks, Tom. One last thing. Um, yeah, I, I think also it's quite clear when. If someone comes with the intention of wanting to understand and build relationship, um, and when someone's like, ah, oh, I don't want to be seen as the racist, so I need this this person to like tell me that I'm okay in their sight, and then I can run away and feel like I'm not a racist anymore. And those are very different things. And so remember, like always, we need to check our hearts and make sure we're coming with the purpose to like really, really build people up and understand, not just I don't know, feel like you haven't messed up anymore. Okay, you had another. So, should we? We have a few questions, and I've still we've missed your first question, which I can't remember what it was. Oh, deliberately leaning into internationals, right? What I'd love to do is just collect about three or four different. Like, we'll try and get everyone a chance to say their question. We'll collect them all, and then we'll try and pick them all off as much as we can. So, go for it. Tell us your question. So, pray, prayer attached to um, identify. So, we'll come back to that. Let's just collect some more questions. Okay. Right, so that's a question about is there a difference in under 18s compared to over 18s and making people feel welcome. Any other questions? Yep. Yeah, so question one is like, is it, what are the intentional things? On, yeah, okay. Blessing to the church. Any other questions just to, to do one more? Yeah, yeah, gender mix on, a, on teams. Yeah, okay, amazing. Okay, let's just, uh, do you have any of those questions you particularly want to answer? Can I just say on the prayer one, just to say, uh, kind of, so our kids' pastor is the same. She, she's never in uh, the Sunday morning, very rarely. Uh, when we were planting, uh, Leslie, my wife, she'd pray every day, Lord, would you send young black men to our church? And I used to be like, why are you praying for like, well, well, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit insecure here. And do you know what happened? Uh, about three, four, five weeks later, young black men started coming to our church. We prayed uh, for, Lord, we, we would love to have a black worship leader in our church. Nobody was 
even on a worship team, maybe one person who was not white on a worship team. Lord, please, would you? And we pray, like, Lord, please. The next Sunday, a, lady, a black lady comes, Dorothy, comes to our church. As soon as I saw her, I was like, there's something about her. Oh, what's your name? What do you do? My name's Dorothy. I've been worship, leading worship in churches for years, uh, but something's gone really wrong in that place. And I don't need to lead worship. You know, I'm not looking to lead worship, but you just ask what I did, and I tell you. And I said, we've been praying for God to send us black worship leaders. Maybe you're that person. That first conversation I had with her. So you can, you can, if you pray for a specific thing you think you need, Lord, would you send a man who could be on our welcome team? Would you send this? If you pray it and pray it and pray it, the Lord, I believe, will answer it. Uh, so that you don't need to be in the place, and you can ask other people. Um, Lara, do you want to ask, answer a question? Then Josh, you answer a question. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with the youth one. So um, I think. The way that the youth group works is slightly different from like a Sunday morning or the different events, but with our Sunday sessions in particular and actually and our Bible studies and things like that, we do. Sorry, the yeah, that's during the week on Zoom. Um, the the kind of questions that we'll ask do facilitate people being able to talk about their cultures and bringing that into discipleship. So, for example, one of the weeks we talked about parents and our relationship with our parents, and we we thought about okay, culturally how. What, what are some of the things that your one person's parent might do that someone from a different country might not do as well and just address that and, and how God works through all of the different parents and the different techniques. So, yeah, I think it, it does play a part, but again, with pictures and with the music that we use, all of that works in as well. Um, thank you so much. Um, can I pick up on one of the other questions? Is that okay? Mm -hmm. So the, the identifying the right people. Um, and working out, you know, who, you know, how can you um, bring people who, who you can't actually see? Um, it's a tricky one, and I think that the, your prayer is just is just wonderful. I think sometimes we also think that we're the people that have to do the recruiting, um, and if we can start to share the burden more widely than just ourselves, that can really help facilitate something. So, for instance, like not knowing people, I'm not in that service. Well, who is in that service? Who can I share that burden with? How can we as a team be praying for this? How can we as a team be? And then you've got more eyes on the ground looking out for this person. So when that person comes in, they're more likely to be caught. And I think one of the things that um, probably I'll, I'm talking out of frustration, so, so weigh this up, is that um, often teams are recruited relationally. And we talk of ourselves being a relational movement. If you want to increase diversity, we may not, well, not at this moment in time have relationship with these people. So how do we step away from being a relational movement into being an intentional movement? And it's stepping across the barriers to, to, to bridge that gap. So what is it that we can do to put ourselves in places where we're uncomfortable? And how can we do that in a way that then allows us to bring people who are on the outside in? Yeah. So the intentional thing of, of trying to go from white to diverse. Okay, I'm going to tell you some things that you probably won't like, but here is what works. Okay, don't serve alcohol, reduce social time, increase Bible study, talk about Jesus all the time, pray for power, for money, for jobs. Like If you do those things, internationals, they need from Jesus money to get through the week. 
They want Jesus. They don't want to hear about your latest chat that you had about what's been going on in your life. Now, as white people, we love, oh, we're so relaxed in church. Uh, we'll have wine or beer together and it feels so cool because it doesn't feel like church. They, most internationals do not want that. What they want is Jesus. They want the power of the Spirit. They want the truth from the Bible. They want to be empowered to go out and live a life to take ground. A lot of internationals live a very insecure life in this country. And Jesus is the power and authority who can give them security to step into that. Now, I'm talking about internationals, first generation. It's totally different. Like, so Lara's experience would probably be different because you would be second generation. Yeah. Second generation. Uh, so Jesus, Bible, Holy Spirit. If you focus your time on those things and minimize social time, and, and so I now, I mean, I'm wearing, this is, uh, I used to wear T-shirts all the time. I always now try to make sure I wear a collar. Uh, many of our people call me pastor. I used to say, don't call me pastor. And then somebody said, you know what you do? You delegitimize me when you tell me I can't call you pastor. My whole life, I've got nobody in authority who's legitimate. And I come into this space and I call you pastor and you say, I can't be your pastor. All you're doing is make me feel less legitimate. So now I say, I'll be your pastor. You call me pastor. I can be pastor. Now, I don't know. That's my view of authority. That's my view of what's cool and attractive. That's my view of like how, how do you grow in power. Like, all of those things are different for internationals from what they are for British people. Now, if you do that, what you find is the middle class white people will say, can we not just... Like, this small group is just, you know, I don't really want to come because it's too much Bible. That's really what they're saying. It's too much Bible. Can we not just chat and share stories? And they'd be like, well, no, because we want you guys have to change what you would naturally do. And to be honest, if I'm really honest, the wealthier middle class white people will bounce off some of our small groups. Because they don't want to be in a room where people are sharing really difficult things going on in their life. They want to have a lovely time and drink some wine and maybe worship a little bit and pray for each other. That doesn't work if you're an international. So there's some difficult things to do. Um, and uh, I would say that's intentionally what we've done. But what's it added to our church? Do you want to? I mean, you are somebody who's... I was added. <laughs> who was added? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I joined Quinn and Vineyard just over a year and a half ago. Um, and I remember before I joined the church, I ended up on social media trying to scout out, like, is this church really who they say they are? Are they really, um, like, diverse and inclusive and things like that? And, yeah, I think for me it was great coming into a space where I didn't know anyone. I knew no one in Croydon pretty much. And I was like, okay, this actually genuinely does feel like home. And... And I feel like I can voice different things and I can ask honest questions and can bring some of my culture and and again, not just to throw it out, but like to be like, how can we build build up the church? And one of the things I think of is the crossover or the New Year's Eve thing that we do, which we didn't do before, but I know growing up for me, every New Year's Eve, I never went out and to a party or anything or had fireworks, but it was always at church. And so I was like, oh, could, is there something that we could do with that? And I think we've found like a good fusion balance of what that looks like. And it's just been really powerful, I think. And that was just an idea I threw out that I was comfortable enough to bring forward. And I think, I think it's pretty cool. I agree. Um, 
Should we? Did we miss anybody's questions? Okay, Josh, why don't you come and pray for everybody? Have you noticed, by the way, just as a that Josh will naturally retreat to the back of the room, right? So I have to keep inviting him to come back up, and he leads the race stuff for the whole movement. So that's, but that's so. There's just something to notice. You, there's the deliberate calling in because he's got such gold in him. But you would think, oh, he's shy. He hasn't really got a lot to say because he would stand naturally at the back. But there's gold, and that's just that small instinct.